Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Well, hello, my friends, and thank you so much for tuning in today to my podcast. Uh, I guess I don't know if you really tune into these things like a radio show used to be when it was only on at a certain time, but since this is a podcast and this modern technology allows you to listen to this over and over again, and also whatever time you want, that I guess it's a little bit different than tuning in. So I guess maybe we'll call it clicking in. I don't even know if that's a term. But I hope to put together a good show for you today and have you learn some things and God willing, uh, it's of value to you. I know I'm going to try my best and hopefully I will be successful at that. What I wanted to talk about today is I wanted to start off telling you a little bit about our farm. As many of you may know, we raise fresh market sweet corn in New Jersey. We have a small farm operation and we raise bicolor sweet corn. And people ask me, Ray, why do you raise bicolor sweet corn for? And I tell them I have no choice. I get a blue tractor and a green planter. So no matter what seed I put in the hopper, it comes out bicolor. That's only something a farmer would appreciate, right? A city person would not appreciate the brand loyalty that um, many of us have to the color of the equipment. And I think that is great. So uh, <coughs> we raise sweet corn and we've done that for since 1978. The farm has been in our family since long before I was born, since 1954, but we started to raise sweet corn, fresh market sweet corn in 1978. And I am not embarrassed to tell you is that we were not good farmers. And I was a young boy and working under the tutelage of my father, God rest his soul, but like many people back then in many situations, uh, we had a way of doing things and however we did it we did it and we were very adverse to change uh, we were very adverse to uh, to anything that was newfangled uh, this is the way we did it and sometimes we had good results sometimes we had bad results and uh, sometimes we had results someplace in between so but that's just the way it was back then and that is one part about about years back that I do not miss so many times I look back and I think that today we we live our life looking in the rearview mirror, uh, wist, wistfully looking back how things were back 20, 30, 40 years ago instead of looking ahead through the windshield. But that aspect of life I do not uh, look back longingly for because we were not good farmers. And then what basically happened was that we depleted our soil over the years and then 
as most small farm families is that there gets to be a, a bucking of heads between the the one generation and the older generation and not until my father died sadly was i able to take a hundred percent control of our farm and then run it the way i felt it should be run or probably a more accurate way is recognizing which i've that we're not having good success and that we needed to uh, change things. What the changes were going to be, I couldn't honestly tell you, but I just knew that whatever we were doing was not working. We had our soil uh, was constantly mold board plowed and it would just rain on it and it would get hard as concrete. You could have used it for a super highway and that was that was a problem. And People were telling us, well, that's just the type of soil you have and uh, can't do anything about it. That's where the good Lord made your farm. And I really didn't want to accept that because I felt across the road where a neighbor was farming, the soil was, was better. And I could not believe that 16 feet of paved highway, county highway, made a difference in the soil. But then what had happened was that, that farmer retired and that land went fallow. So I really didn't have much new data other than the fact that I remember as a young boy that his situation was was different than ours. So on my quest to learn and to make our farm profitable and to be a good steward of what God has trusted to us, I wanted to uh, learn everything I possibly could and it was very confusing at times because we were doing everything wrong. So no matter where I looked and spoke to other people, then I also started to see that other people were doing things wrong, maybe in a different way. And then in 2013, I bought a new car for my wife, a Ford Fiesta with satellite radio. And uh, she ended up not wanting it, so I had to buy her another new car. Uh, six months later, a uh, Ford Escape, which she's very happy with. But anyway, so I took the Fiesta because I was driving a 1998 Ford Escort that I had bought new and with 450,000 miles. It was a great little car and uh, it was time to, uh, to update. So I took the Fiesta over uh, with the satellite radio. And just at that time, on the satellite radio, rural radio came about. On, I think it was Channel 82 back then and became Channel 147 subsequently. And there was a new show coming on the air. It was called Ag PhD Radio. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that we did not have TV, so I didn't hear any. I, when, the, when the free signal went away, our TV went away. And we did not have any TV, so I was not cognizant of Ag PhD on the, tele, the television show. So anyway, I was kind of excited to hear about this uh, new show on the radio, and I drive a lot for business, being a technical writer for magazines, both automotive and agricultural, so I'm on the road quite a bit, and I was enjoying that rural radio station. And then the Ag PhD show came on, and when I had the opportunity, I would listen to it, and I uh, really became a fan probably after the first five minutes. But anyway... To get to the point of the story, back in 2015, I attended one of Ag PhD Soils clinics, and it was in Sykeston, Missouri, in the winter. And I drove out to Sykeston, and I listened to everything that they'd said prior to coming out there to bring a soil test with you, and what have you. And I was sitting there in the Soils clinic, and the the Hefty brothers were talking about nutrient tie-up in the soil, and they were also talking about base saturation readings on a soil test. And 
I'm sitting there in Sykes in Missouri in the first row. Any seminar I go to, I always get there first, and I'm always sitting in the, the, the closest seat possible because if I made an investment in time to go there, I want to glean as much as I possibly can. And one of the brothers were talking about uh, the relationship of calcium and magnesium in base saturation and how it would impact your soil. And they said if your magnesium ratio is too high to your calcium ratio in base, sa in base saturation, that your soil would get very hard once it got rained on a little bit of moisture. And I, and I looked in my soil test, and lo and behold, my the uh, base saturation ratio of the mag and the cal was way off. We were very heavy on mag and uh, not really bad on cal, but just way too heavy on mag. But anyway, then, uh, and it was a eureka moment because I saw that that was what was going on, why our field was getting so hard and why our water infiltration was poor and emergence was poor and uh, all those other things go along with it. But anyway, another thing that they were talking about the further, a few slides down was a concept that I was aware of, had heard of, but I didn't really study it. Uh, I really didn't give it much thought. And it was called nutrient tie-up. And I'm sure all of you are much better farmers than, than I am and certainly better farmer than I was back then. And this concept of nutrient tie-up really, really uh, interests me. And they had this little chart. It looked almost, uh, it was a bunch of lines and with this, with the chemical definition of, or chemical abbreviation of the uh, nutrient and, and you'd follow it, it was a circle and you'd follow it along. It was a little bit confusing at first, but I understood the concept of what they were trying to represent. And what I had learned was that if you have an imbalance in your soil, then these, one nutrient can latch to another one, and even though it's available for the plant, that it, uh, it's in the soil, but it's available there, but the plant is not able to take it in because of this tie-up. And I understood that to the level that I needed to, to for what I wanted to do, grow sweet corn, and I wasn't going to be an agronomist, but I understood that, that from that point on, I understood that there's this tie-up and you have to keep all the nutrients in balance. So that was a big turning point in our farm. But the thing that I want to establish today in this podcast being that even though we think of nutrient tie-up uh, in soil for crop production, believe it or not, there's actually tie-up in machinery and specifically engines. And uh, if we obviously we wouldn't call it nutrient tie-up. I don't even think that there's a term for it. So I'll call it engine tie-up. And but it's not only with engines; it could be with any mechanical system, whether it's a, a meter on a planter, whether it's a sprayer, what have you. But it's easier to uh, think about it in first terms about engines. And there there is a tie-up that happens inside an engine, and it's a little bit different because the engine is needs to work in synchrony and harmony with one another just like the plant needs to be able to access all those nutrients that are in the soil and not be bound up and there are things that could happen inside an engine for instance uh, deposits uh, carbon deposits on intake valves and carbon deposits on on the piston crown that will impact the engine in all different ways because it is getting 
I'll say tied up, but actually what's happening in that particular instance, if you have carbon deposits on an intake valve, it's actually wicking in fuel. So the delivered air-fuel ratio and the air-fuel ratio that the engine is actually seeing is, is completely different, which would be akin to having a nutrient in the soil, and then you do a tissue analysis, you do a uh, soil test and a tissue analysis at the same time, and you find out that you have those nutrients there, but they're not getting into the plant because it's tied up for some reason. And the same thing happens with an engine. You could have a, a fuel delivery or a ignition timing setting, and that is correct, but it's, it doesn't seem to be yielding the results. So in crops, we talk about yield, whether it's bushels or whether it's uh, tons or what have you of the particular crop. And in an engine, we talk about yield also, but we don't call it yield. We call it either horsepower, torque, fuel economy, idle quality, all of those things are the yield of an engine. So that is what we are going to be talking about today in our special delivery segment, which is when our listeners contact us with questions on equipment. We have a uh, very, very good, interesting question today about a listener from Oklahoma, and he wants me to explain pump cavitation. And that is something that happens to a centrifugal pump. And I will go over that later and answer his question for the gentleman in Oklahoma. And then we also have another question from a farmer in Michigan. And let me see where I have it here on my desk. And he's interested in talking about fuel injection cleaners. So we'll answer those later on. So let's now talk about engine tie-up, or specifically what I'm calling fuel tie-up in an engine. And this predominantly happens to gasoline-powered engines. It could also happen to diesels, but to a much lesser extent due to the combustion process that a diesel has and also the composition of the fuel. Uh, A diesel tends to make more soot, which is particulate matter, and that's basically the uh, essence of what tier 4 emissions predominantly control, that along with oxides of nitrogen. Whereas a gasoline engine has a propensity, just due to the nature of the fuel, the hydrocarbon-based fuel, to create carbon deposits in the engine. And these carbon deposits will actually tie up the fuel delivered to the cylinder. Now, in an engine, we talk about two different types of fuel not two different types, I have to correct myself. Basically, there's two different air-fuel ratios, and it is the mixture of fuel to air. There is the created air-fuel ratio, and then there is the delivered air-fuel ratio. The created air-fuel ratio is what the fuel injector or carburetor distributes to the engine, whilst the delivered air-fuel ratio is actually what gets there. Now, you may say to yourself, well, you know, if it's the carburetor or fuel injector, we'll talk about fuel injectors as it's a little bit easier to understand than with a carburetor at this particular point, but I will definitely uh, visit that as the podcast goes on. So, you have a created air-fuel ratio, and that is the result of the fuel pressure, the actual size of the fuel injector as far as its flow capacity is concerned, much like sprayer tips there are all different injector sizes and spray patterns and the when they build the engine and design the intake manifold and the engine itself they choose a certain type of spray pattern and a certain flow rate of the injector whereas uh, 
most injectors depending upon the system that is being used to measure whether it's an American system or a metric system it could be in grams of fuel per second is one metric that is used metric meaning a measuring stick uh, there's pounds per hour of fuel and there's also cc's per minute so they all correlate to be the same thing it's the flow rate just like you would have a, a nozzle a sprayer tip with a flow rate 30 gallons per hour you could have a 30 pound per hour injector meaning that it, it will flow 30 pounds of fuel per hour into the engine so the created air fuel ratio is a combination of the fuel pressure the, in, the injector flow rate and also the length of time or duty cycle in milliseconds thousands of a second that the injector is open and spraying fuel if anyone has a pulse width modulated sprayer on their farm like a case patriot aim command system and i know there's other brands now but they can't uh, come right to mind a pulse width modulated sprayer that's a fuel injector so that ticking that you hear tick 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 is actually the same thing that you would hear in a fuel injector it's the opening and closing and the, the, the pressure staying constant and the fuel delivery being uh, shut on and off actually as an aside to that on most uh, sprayers agricultural sprayers uh, crop sprayers they actually uh, block the they block the flow the pressure and they don't uh, do it at the at the sprayer tip but whereas an injector the flow is constant and they shut off the nozzle at the sprayer tip but ultimately it's it's the same result it's being shut on and off in duty cycle so you have an air fuel ratio that is created and an, an air fuel ratio is how is a certain amount of parts of fuel to one part of air so <coughs> excuse me now if you have if the engine is loaded up with carbon deposits what will happen is that those deposits will either wick in the the created air fuel ratio and not allow it to be delivered to the cylinder or they will actually block the flow of it and have it wet either the intake manifold wall the combustion chamber wall or what have you but ultimately it is not allowing the created air fuel ratio to be the same as the delivered air fuel ratio so it is actually tying up the fuel inside the engine and it's a tie-up that you cannot see just like a tie-up of nutrients in the plant the plant will show it to you as a nutrient deficiency through either visually at that particular point it's pretty bad when you see it or through a um, either a sap test or tissue analysis and you will see that the nutrients are not getting in the plant that the plant is being starved for a certain nutrient well that happens in an engine through carbon deposits the fuel will be administered and en route to the cylinder but the cylinder will never get the proper air fuel ratio and when the proper air fuel ratio is not delivered to the cylinder just like a plant cannot grow and yield properly and as we said earlier as i said earlier on in the introduction to this podcast the engine will not yield because its idle quality will be off the power will be off the fuel consumption will be will be off everything it will not yield so that is what basically happens as the fuel gets tied up now inside an engine there's two types of deposits that are formed they have what is called IVD which stands for intake valve deposits and there's CCD which is combustion chamber deposits 
Now the intake valve deposits are those that form on the back side of the intake valve and they are the result of either the fuel composition in the gasoline that the engine is using and also if there is any oil leakage past the valve guide through a, a poor valve stem seal and a slightly worn guide what would basically happen is that when you shut the engine off that it will drip some oil down past the, the clearance between the valve stem and the guide and that will land on the valve and then eventually ultimately land on the top of the piston so the that's IVD intake valve deposits on any engine with fuel injection the intake valve deposits are uh, very critical as far as absorbing the fuel from the injector because the injector is right there I, sh I shouldn't say critical I should say has a, a great impact on the delivered air fuel ratio versus the created air fuel ratio and it's of paramount concern because when the fuel injector sprays it actually is designed on a pork fuel injection system not a direct injection system and a direct injection system with gasoline which is called GDI gasoline direct injection and that sprays the fuel right into the combustion chamber a la like a diesel whereas on a port fuel injection system that the injector is situated at the connection between the intake manifold and the intake port of the cylinder head and the injector what they would call the phase or the angle the orientation of the injector is designed so that the fuel sprays against the intake valve and it uses the the valve itself its collision with the intake valve to help atomize the fuel and break it up into small particles on any gasoline engine three things need to happen for the gasoline to be a suitable fuel it needs to be atomized and that means it's broken down into small particles just like you have with a spray from an aerosol can but it is still in liquid form the next phase is that it needs to be emulsified and that means the liquid fuel is mixed with air and the third aspect that the gasoline must undergo it needs to become vaporized and that that means that it changes from a liquid albeit in very tiny tiny particles from atomization it becomes a gas a gaseous state or what we would say becomes rarefied and the rarefied fuel is what burns and when there's an engine is laden with IVD intake valve deposits what will happen is that those three elements that are required to make the fuel burn the atomization the emulsification and the vaporization all skew and then once they all skew is that you don't have a fuel you don't have the proper amount of fuel and or you have liquid actually liquid fuel albeit a minute amount going into the cylinder and not burning and the end result is a poor running engine a lack of power uh, usually uh, unstable idle quality higher emissions and greater fuel consumption so that is intake valve deposits the other deposit that's formed is called CCD combustion chamber deposits and those are carbon deposits that that form and reside on the top of the piston which is called the crown of the piston and also on the 
the surface of the combustion chamber on the cylinder head. So that's called CCD. And it's called combustion chamber deposits because actually the combustion chamber, even though the majority of it, people think of it as in the cylinder head, which that is the chamber, the other part of the chamber is the crown of the piston. Because when the piston comes up the top dead center, the uh, top of the piston, the crown, is the floor of the combustion chamber. Now, combustion chamber deposits can be formed from the gasoline also, and also from oil leaking into the cylinder, from past the valve guides and or a ring package that is worn. But historically, most of the combustion chamber deposits are formed from the fuel and also from oil coming past the valve guide, the valve stem seal and the clearance in the guide as we discussed. If you have an engine that emits whitish blue smoke on startup after it sat for a while and then that smoke dissipates and the exhaust is clean, that is the hallmark of worn valve stem seals because when you shut the engine off the oil is, is hot and it's thin and it leaks past the guides and goes on the, either onto the back side of the valve if that valve happens to be closed or leaks past the valve onto the piston crown and as soon as the as ignition occurs as soon as you start the engine that oil burns off and that's why there's smoke for a few seconds a bluish white smoke and traditionally oil smoke is blue but there's usually not that much oil there so it transitions from 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 a whitish blue a light color and then it clears out because that oil is, has been dissipated until the next restart in the engine when it was shut off that oil is actually dripping down. So if you have an engine that has a propensity to have this bluish white smoke on startup then you know for a fact that it is loaded with deposits and it's going to be loaded with in that particular instance both CCD and IVD deposits and that will impact how the engine runs and performs and over time will actually make the engine very lethargic and make it think make you think that it's it's quite worn out now the other thing is that getting back to IVD for a minute we have to remember that the intake valve is the gateway for airflow into the engine and when deposits form and these deposits could actually tent up to such a degree that it, it, it blocks a majority of the flow path and it's that is common it's common for it to happen it's uh, common for it to happen on a lot of foreign car engines uh, back years ago Mitsubishi's Hyundai's used to have a real propensity to build deposits and they would block off the airflow paths to such a great extent that the engine would would basically be down maybe 50 to 60 horsepower and would hardly run and this is also a common occurrence due not due to design but due to use for a lot of utility vehicles on the farm because the other criteria that causes a lot of deposits both CCD and IVD are a lot of short trips or short what we would call in the industry short duty cycle and um, also many cold starts when the engine is cold the mixture is richer and a lot of the fuel does not become vaporized and that fuel has the tendency to then become a carbon deposit because it is not burned and that is uh, a real real problem as some of these engines short duty cycle engines get older so there's 
to recap this we have IVD intake valve deposits and we have CCD which is combustion chamber deposits now what can you do about this well obviously if you have a certain use cycle for a piece of equipment a UTV or uh, an engine on a, a seat tender or something you you can't change that duty cycle too much I mean you're not going to get out onto the fall lane and take your UTV and ride up and down every week six for 60 miles so but what you can do also is you can try to to limit the cold starts if possible but we'll take that out of the equation because we have to assume that you're using that particular engine in the intent that was it was designed for in that application so what you could do is the best treatment for this or the best um, way to combat deposits are to never to let them form so you may say how can I never let them form you just told me they're gonna form well there's two simple methods uh, the first method is to use a gasoline that is called a top tier gasoline and that is a gasoline that has more detergent in it and has less of a propensity to build deposits but what people get confused with top tier gasolines is that they have a most of the time they have a detergent level in them that will help remove some deposits but but the better brands of gasoline will also have a characteristic a chemical characteristic that will not allow them to build deposits at such a fast rate but you know since we live in farm country we have to use the gasoline that that we get so let's scratch that off the list that's that's you know pie in the sky as far as I'm concerned you're not gonna ride around looking in Montana looking for top tier gasoline all the time to put in your UTV so that's really not practical but the other thing you could do which is very practical is you need to treat that fuel from when that engine is new and I don't care what the application is whether it's a road vehicle or a farm farm engine treat that fuel on a uh, on a prescribed schedule with a very good uh, fuel injector combustion chamber cleaner and I do have a question later on in my special segment uh, special delivery segment from Randy in Michigan and I did choose his question uh, this today because it does talk about injector cleaner so I'm going to go into a little bit more detail later on and what you could you don't have to treat the fuel all the time I mean so if you treat one tank full a month for that particular application or if you buy bulk gasoline and treat the bulk gasoline with a, a good injector cleaner then that will keep those deposits at bay and they will and it will also uh, s remove the ones that have formed and keep new ones from forming and it's really inexpensive to do that and it's and it's just a, a great preventive maintenance you know and keep in mind also that that if you have a smaller engine let's say you have a uh, you have an engine on a seed tender I'm using that for example and it's a rope start engine it's not an electric start you know once you get these deposits in these engines I mean they become a bear to start they become a bear to run I mean any rope pull engine is is compromised to begin with because the amount of signal in the carburetor to start fuel flow is is not that great and also the cranking speed of the crankshaft with you pulling in with the rope is not as smooth or as as high a rpm as it would be with an electric starter so by keeping these deposits at bay you'll have an engine that is that is much less frustrating to start uh, and will run much better I treat all my fuel my lawn tractor my weed whacker everything here in the farm my uh, 
leaf blower it all gets treated fuel um, on a continual basis because it, it's not even it's it's micro pennies uh, a gallon to treat it and it's not it's, 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 it's a percentage of a penny to treat it and I want a piece of equipment that runs without frustration and as I said it's you know think of it this way it's like brushing your teeth if you brush your teeth and keep your teeth clean and you have good oral hygiene then you don't have as many problems with your teeth you don't you and you that don't have to, when you go to the dentist you get a clean bill of health if you don't do that then what basically happens is that you end up getting a lot of dental issues and it's all and in life as we all know it's just like you know with farming it's it's you know it's easier to maintain the fertility in the field than to try to mine than to mine it all out and try to put it back and it's the same thing as far as carbon deposits are concerned now you're getting back to this tie-up deal is that keep in mind that once you build a lot of CCD combustion chamber deposits there is an adverse effect that beyond it wicking in the air the created air fuel ratio is that that will make the engine a more prone to, to detonate or ping what we would call abnormal combustion because of the heat that is retained in those deposits and what's really interesting uh, as an aside to this is that with, with combustion chamber deposits at first they be they are so what is called soft deposits and they could actually be be eradicated blown out if you took the engine for instance let's say on a car and you jumped on it on the highway and you see all the smoke come out of the back those are the loose deposits that they are still soft they have not hardened yet but over time much like the good lord makes a diamond in the ground from coal through pressure and heat those soft deposits if not removed will actually uh, become rock hard and they will not come off that piston and it, it's and chemically it would be almost impossible to get them off not impossible you'd have to do what is called a piston soak chemical which is a burdensome uh, task because you have to uh, get all the spark plugs out pour this chemical on top of the piston let it sit pump it out and redo it again so you really don't want to get there so much like you'd rather brush your teeth and not have to have your teeth pulled out or have cavities and the same thing is with deposits but once you build those combustion chamber deposits on today's modern engines with electronic timing controls is that it will see that that in most applications it will see that that engine wants to detonate or ping and it will retard the timing so now you basically have a fuel delivery that's wrong you have the ignition timing that's wrong and and everything in that engine is now tied up and it's all tied up just like you would have fertility in the ground tied up in the plant and you have a poor poor running engine and it's simply because this would be akin to to having the nutrients in the ground and not getting into the plant so you could think of this as base saturation for engines so it's like a base saturation test for engines so to recap all of this you know not to belabor you with it it's you know intake valve deposits combustion chamber deposits are formed by the the hydrocarbons in the fuel the natural hydrocar hydrocarbons in the gasoline is that short trips uh, create a lot short trip cycles where the engine doesn't get that hot and has a lot of start stop cycles has a propensity to build deposits any oil that will leak past the valve stems uh, valve, valve valve stem seals will build deposits and many cold starts will will build deposits at an exponential rate 
uh, it's going to affect every aspect of that engine. So just like that plant is tied up, the engine is tied up with these deposits. And it will impact on a modern engine with electronic timing controls. It will impact the spark advance curve. And it will also impact the created versus delivered air fuel ratio. Now, in the beginning, I said I was also going to discuss with carburetors. Carburetor engines, the same thing happen happens with carburetor engines, especially if the carburetor is set wrong or the choke is kept on too long. That rich mixture will have a, uh, a real opportunity to wet down that valve and allow those deposits to form. Uh, in some ways, believe it or not, a carburetor and carburetor engine is slightly more forgiving of IVD than a port fuel injected engine because the three elements, the, the atomization, the emulsification, and the vaporization of the fuel happens before it gets to the intake valve. Whereas on a port fuel injected engine, it actually, a part of that, the, the um, phase change and also the emulsification is happening right near the valve. So believe it or not, the old school carburetor, the engine will still fall prey to all of the, the ailments that I discussed when they're carbon laden, but they, um, it is slightly, slightly more forgiving than a modern fuel injected engine. So on a poor fuel injected EFI system. So basically in essence, you can't change the duty cycle use of the piece of equipment. So then what you need to do is use a good fuel injector cleaner. And I specifically like the Chevron Tecron fuel systems cleaner. And I will discuss that in a little bit more detail in a minute or two in the uh, special delivery segment, <coughs> which we will get to right now. Alrighty, I have a letter here from Rich from Oklahoma. And he writes, I recently had a hydraulic pump on a haybine go bad. The shop that fixed it said it may have been, uh, <coughs> I can't read it, uh, uh, he may have been cavitated, excuse me. I do not understand that. If possible, please tell me what that is. Thanks. Love you on this successful farming TV show, and I have read you for years in Hemmings Motor News and other car magazines. Well, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you uh, watching me on Successful Farming TV and also for reading me in the car magazines. That's uh, if anybody has you know went to my website, you know that that was a, a part of my life and still is. But my true love is agriculture and trying to help the American farmer with uh, making their decisions in the farm shop much more effective okay let's just briefly and uh, I just want to say that in probably within the next couple of weeks I'm going to have an in detail article on the farmmachinerydigest.com website about uh, cavitation in, in pumps pump cavitation and that'll be under the uh, the uh, learn tab and it'll be the learning series so it'll be a magazine type article Basically, but to answer uh, Rich's question right now on the podcast, uh, pump cavitation, that describes the formation of bubbles, bubbles or cavities in the fluid that is being pumped or moved. Within the, within the uh, industry, we call it that you're moving the, moving the liquid, not pumping it. And what will happen is that if that fluid has entrained air in it, and or there is a restriction in that 
feed or pressure line, then what will actually happen is that the fluid will actually become elevated in temperature, whatever the bulk fluid is. So let's say a hydraulic fluid, use that as an example. I don't want to get too engineering on you and call it a bulk fluid, but let's say we're talking about a hydraulic pump, as he said. So what will happen is that that fluid will actually become elevated in temperature and it will actually start to gas and it will create little bubbles and those bubbles uh, will implode on either on the, the the metal parts of the pump either the impeller or the housing and this is very hard for a lot of people to grasp but those bubbles when they when they actually hit they actually are traveling at the speed of sound and when they collide with with the uh, metal surface they actually have the ability to destroy it and the sign of the hallmark of a cavitated pump is either pitting in the volute the pump housing or pitting or broken pieces on the impeller and that so those little bubbles actually implode on there they they collide and they implode and the shock wave of that um, hitting those metal surfaces actually deteriorates it over time and destroys that pump. So that is actually what is happening in a simplistic way with cavitation. What is cavitation? What is the cause of cavitation? It is one of two things. The most common cause of cavitation is a flow restriction. So what's happening, think of trying to, to suck water or soda or a glass of milk out of a straw and you're coming near the end and you're sucking and and you don't have and you're, you're sucking more air than you are liquid and so you are aerating that bulk fluid stream and you are also starving that flow path and that creates excessive heat because in every pump actually the fluid that is being moved the bulk fluid is also a coolant it's meant to act as a coolant from the compression of the uh, liquid in the pump cavity so basically whenever you have a cavitation issue it's the most common cause is a flow restriction the flow restriction could be the on the inlet side or the outlet side and or the feed to that particular pump is actually sucking air someplace you could have then this happens a lot of times on on diesel engines actually um, inside the fuel tank you could have a rubber pickup hose or a pickup line that became porous and when the tank gets low on fuel it actually w introduces air into the liquid stream into the fuel stream and they call that entrained e-n-t-r-a-i-n-e-d that's air that's mixed in with the fluid and those bubbles will cause it to cavitate so basically in essence if your pump rich was truly cavitated on that hay bind, before you put too many hours on that piece of equipment, you're going to need to, to determine why that happened. Because if you don't, it's going to take that new pump out. And if you were to email me at hotrodfarmer at thefarmmachinerydigest.com with your, e with your telephone number, I can uh, talk to you over the telephone and I can give you some areas to, uh, to check that would be common for that and because otherwise you're going to wipe out that new pump and those pumps are not cheap and if you got to get some hay out of the field and there's storms coming that's not a good situation and also once again thanks for reading me in the car magazines and for watching me on the successful farming tv show now Randy from Michigan writes 
It says you often speak about inject the cleaning chemicals in your articles. Can you explain what they do? Well, yes, and I was talking today, and that's why I chose this question, as I said, because it talks about deposits. Even though we spoke about combustion chamber deposits and intake valve deposits, there are also deposits that form on the pintle of a fuel injector, and those deposits impede the flow and impede the atomization of the fuel, the actual spray pattern. The easiest way for a farmer to think about it is uh, think about your sprayer and you are doing a, you're doing a flow test on your sprayer and you also look to see at what pattern that the the tip is putting out well that's the same thing with a fuel inject you need to have a nice conical pattern and once deposits form from the gasoline and from carbon inside the engine on the pintle the tip of that fuel injector it is no longer atomizing the fuel it is actually spraying in a stream it would be akin to having a sprayer tip uh that you know the boom touched the dirt touched the you know, how you hit a, a gully in the field and the boom went down and, you know, kissed the ground with it. And now that that one tip is spraying a stream instead of atomizing. So what a fuel injector cleaner will do is chemically remove those deposits. But keep in mind, as I said, with, car, with combustion chamber deposits and intake valve deposits, is that if you let those deposits get too hard, you're not going to be able to remove them with a chemical. Those uh, injectors need to be physically removed from the engine and they use an ultrasonic bath where through vibration they actually basically in that sense it's it's like cavitation as we discussed just the question before with the pump it uses little bubbles to go and break those deposits off but the good thing is that you don't need to allow it to get to that particular point now to answer your question within the industry you'll have two different types of cleaners there's what's called a fuel injection cleaner and then you'll have something that's called a combustion chamber or complete fuel systems cleaner and the chevron techron is one of the brands that come to mind but there are others the the rule of thumb is that if it's if the bottle is listed as a fuel injector cleaner then that chemical flashes off at the tip of the injector and does nothing to remove intake valve deposits and combustion chamber deposits. If it's listed as a complete fuel systems cleaner, then it has a special detergent that will clean off the injector pintle, the injector deposits, and it, then the other chemicals, the components will not flash off and they will attack the intake valve deposits and the combustion chamber deposits. So think of it as modes of action as you would a herbicide. A fuel injector cleaner is one mode of action and whereas a, com a, a fuel systems cleaner or complete fuel systems cleaner are, is three modes of action. It'll clean the injector, it'll clean the intake valve and it'll clean the combustion chamber slash piston crown. So that's really what you want to do is you want to use a complete fuel system cleaner and you do not want to let those deposits form. And once and if you keep those deposits from forming, basically that's chemically tuning the engine. Today's spark plugs on a gas engine last 120, 130,000 miles. My little Ford Fiesta has 130,000 miles. I pulled the plugs out of it. They were they looked like brand new and they had no wear when I measured them with a feeler gauge and the air filter still looks new. So so the days of the old you know, tune-up uh, are gone, but we need to chemically keep these engines tuned by keeping the deposits off the injectors, the intake valve, and the combustion chamber. So listen, thank you so much for listening today. I greatly appreciate it and I greatly appreciate everyone that comes to the uh, website and, and uses it as a learning tool. 
and uh, I guess it's time now for me to hook up the gooseneck and hit the road uh, until next week. But I want you to know that the uh, Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for America and her farmers and ranchers. You have a blessed day and be safe and uh, talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>